0: This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. And let's talk about something that you're gonna be really good at today. And you're gonna love talking about this. There's no rah-rah, there's no fluffy stuff. Let's talk mergers and acquisitions.
1: I love M&A. This is the thing that... I could see myself talking about well, well into retirement.
0: I was looking at some statistics recently that said in 2021... $57.5 billion worth of deals were done with insurance mergers and acquisitions. Like that's crazy to think about to me.
1: I'm not so sure if this is accurate or not, but I think 2022 might have even eclipsed that or it was close to that. The deals over the last two years were just incredible. The valuations went through the roof, the opportunities for agents at the right time, if their timing was right, they got paid well. And now we've seen a slowdown of that because of of interest rates. And we've seen the deals kind of start to flatten out. And certainly the valuations are flattened out, if not decreasing, starting to shrink back. But it happens. It's just part of the economic cycle of interest rates and the interest rate cycle and just what's going on there. And is there excess capital? There have been a lot of attention paid to how much money was in the market, how much just idle money there was to throw at deals. And that obviously pushed valuations up throughout 2021 and 2022. I think the thing there that's really important to really hit on is where were these deals in terms of the size and scope of these deals. And for the majority of agents, they didn't necessarily see these deals come across their desk or come across their agency. And I think it's just a size and scope thing. We see a lot of attention that is really paid to these larger deals and these large revenue acquisitions, it's really important to keep perspective for us small to mid-sized guys to understand where those lines are and how these things happen. Because a lot of those deals were private equity deals or large acquisition engines that are either private equity backed, public, or they're just large organizations that are in acquisition mode. And a lot of times you don't get on their radar as an agency owner until your agency reaches a certain level of revenue. And so we see it, it gets the limelight and we think I'm going to get 15 times EBITDA and no, you're not. Right. Because you're not in the game yet. Your size doesn't put you there yet. I think it's just one of those things that we should talk through and understand. Where are you? What are these layers of agency size that actually put you on the radar of someone who's going to write you a big check?
0: A lot of producers right now are seeing these big numbers and they're listening to podcasts and they're reading information online and they're thinking, okay, I'm going to start an agency. I'm going to build an agency. I'm going to sell an agency and then I'm going to retire to my private island in the Caribbean. And we know that that exists. We know people are able to do that, but that is not the norm. That's definitely the exception to the rule. So we're not trying to discourage you from this. It's kind of like if you're playing high school football and you get a scholarship to a big division one school, but then you decide you're going to play in the pros. The breaking point between who plays college ball and who plays pro ball is huge. And this is the same kind of spread.
1: The NCAA runs these ads around big key events. Only 2% of collegiate athletes go pro. It's exactly relevant to what we see catch the limelight on the MA scale of well, you look at these superstar, they're sort of like almost celebrity status deals, right? And the question that a mentor Asked me several years ago was, okay, so let's say you do it. Let's say you achieve and you grow your organization. And let's not forget an insurance agency, independent agency is an infinite game business. So you spend, I don't know, let's say that you do it quickly and you spend 10 years doing it. Well, it's going to be your baby. 10 years is not nothing. It's a long time. If you are like me and you're in that 20 plus year range, it's really your baby. Then the question becomes, okay, so So somebody's going to write you a big check. Is that going to make you happy? Why do you think that's going to make you happy? Are you going to be able to stop? Are you going to be able to just go to the private island? Are you going to be able to take endless vacations? Are you going to be happy?
0: Let's look at a smaller number size of this. The idea of buying an agency, of buying a book of business is fantastic. We've done it within our organization. It's a a great way to grow your business sometimes. Tell me about what we have done to do this successfully.
1: We have a few experiences experiences and the most relevant experiences that we can talk about happen to be individuals who were really past retirement age. They were done. They were ready to retire. They knew what they wanted. And, And one of the things I keep on my desk is this document and it's around Warren Buffett how he seeks good companies to acquire. And one of those things is an offering price. I took that to heart a couple of decades ago and just said, OK, what do you want? If I'm talking to an agency owner that wants to sell their agency, we're going to use this concept of they're going to retire and they're at retirement age or past retirement age. So I want to be clear. I'm not talking to the retire at 45 crowd. I'm talking to the retire at 65. To 80. Our experience is we've made multiple acquisitions of agencies that fit into this sort of retire in place type of target. And I need a price. I need as an agency owner, I need you to tell me what do you want for what you've built? Do they own their real estate? Do they want to sell the real estate with it? Is it negotiable that we can separate the book of business from the real estate or does it have to be all in? And so a couple of different situations that we have, we've done it both ways. We did one one of the OGs of the Integra organization was in 2001. Ironically, we closed on the agency September 1st of 2001. And so when insurance industry went into a tailspin for a little while, and here we just went out and made our first major acquisition for our size at the time. So it was an interesting time for us. But this particular individual had run his small three-person agency for 50 Plus years. He knew what he wanted. What he wanted was an annuity. He wanted to sell his agency and then he wanted to have guaranteed income for a period of time. We made the deal. This was a book of business only. We kept the location and rented from this gentleman who owned the building. And we agreed to stay there for a certain period of time. The deal was a four-year annuity. At the time he sold, he was 84. The numbers worked for us. About three months before the end of that four years, he actually approached us and said that he was going to need a raise. And we're like, we're done paying for the agency here in a couple of months. And we're like, what do you mean a raise? He goes, well, I get the mail. I still come in. I'm still kind of around and people continue to do business here because I'm still a presence. And so he had kind of created in his mind he's the reason that we're having success. It's not that we automated the agency, that we introduced a cross-sell referral system, that we energized his staff. I mean, it wasn't anything like that. It was because he was still hanging around. And so he was going to need a raise.
0: Now, I know you and I know your heart. You gave him the raise.
1: We gave him a raise and we kept paying him and was less than the acquisition. But we negotiated an amount that we were going to pay him on a monthly basis. And I, I finally was like, Mr. Jim, you understand that we bought your agency, right? And we paid you this annuitized amount. We amortized this out for you and we we paid you and it was kind of this annuity. And now you're 88. You understand this isn't normal. He said, yeah, Shane, I agree. But to be honest with you, I just didn't think I was going to live this long. That was his answer to why he needed a raise. It was comical in a weird, dark way. And it was such a good lesson for me because he knew what price he wanted and he knew what he wanted to do. And the numbers worked for us. Did we overpay for the book on the multiple? We weren't talking EBITDA here. We were talking revenue multiples. This is a smaller book of business in terms. It's not on anybody's private equity radar. It's never going to be. This was just one of these small deals. And I learned such a valuable lesson about tell me what you're looking for and then I'll see if I can create the terms for this to work. I might be willing to overpay you or pay you a premium if I can get the deal on the terms that I need. Do you have a price and do you really, really want to sell? Or are you just kind of feeling out the market. I don't want to mess with that one, but that will happen to you.
0: I am so going to make you laugh. This weekend, we had dinner with some friends, and one of our friends brought a date that we had not met, and she wanted us to meet him. And so we're having a conversation, and he said, yeah, you know, this guy, Warren Buffett, he said this. And I was like, yeah, you know, he said that in his recent town forum, and something else was said later on, and he quoted Warren Buffett probably three or four times during the appetizer. And then he looked at the table and he said, well, if y'all don't know who this Warren Buffett guy is, he's really smart. I found him recently. He is really smart. And the cute boy looked at me and I looked at him and we looked across the table and we were speechless. But this guy was so excited to have found the genius that is Warren Buffett and thought he was going to share with us this new guy out there and his business theories. And we just all kind of smiled and nodded and, of course, didn't say anything because we wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. But I loved the fact that he got so excited about Warren Buffett that this is all he wanted to talk about during dinner.
1: The next time you have that happen to you, I want you to lean into that. What you do when people start throwing names like Buffett around and they start trying to impress you with that and say, well, you understand the real genius behind Berkshire Hathaway is Charlie Munger. Because nobody knows. Charlie Munger. Nobody thinks about Charlie Munger, but Charlie's really the engine. Buffett gets all the glory and he gets all the limelight and he's the jet setter. But Charlie Munger's the one that basically figures out to lead down this path of success. And that's, that's Buffett's basically partner. There's always generally behind some of these incredible celebrity billionaires, a person that's so much more less known, if they're known at all, that's probably The engine behind them. Charlie Munger is my ultimate one upmanship to me if you ever get into a Berkshire Hathaway conversation.
0: I love you bringing that up because I think so many people go into acquisitions thinking they know everything. And talking about trying to make the deal and create the deal and, and have you looked at it this way and have you looked at it that way. Well, I think so many deals fall through because you're trying to do it yourself or you're trying to do it with your attorney and your accountant, but you don't have a mentor that's been there before that really knows how to dig in and make this happen.
1: If you failed an acquisition or something went astray or you've tried and it didn't work, understand that it's not a lot different than you trying to get into writing a certain type of business that you don't know anything about. You don't do it all the time. Most agencies run into the problem because they just don't do it very often. And one of the things that I've discovered over the last probably five to six years is that the more deals we do, the better we get. That's very natural. If you're a personalized driven agency, the larger you get, the more efficient you get, the more automation you put in place, the more successful you become come because you're doing it more and more. And then you try to get off in commercial and you don't really invest properly and you struggle at it. And you're like, why is this so hard? Well, it's so hard because you don't do it all the time. It's not your bread and butter and vice versa, commercial to personal. And I think acquisitions are very similar because you don't do it all the time. Yes, guidance, advisement becomes important, but also who that guidance is going to come from. Remember, your attorney is there to protect you. So they're not necessarily going to help you down the path of the best deal or how to get the deal done. They're there to advise and protect on the legal aspect. Your CPA is the same. They're there to advise and protect you on the tax side of things. I've done things with acquisitions that were not the most beneficial thing for us from a tax side. Why did I do that? Well, because the thing that's the most beneficial thing to us, the way the deal needs to be structured on my side is generally going to be the worst thing for the seller. The seller is going to understand this because they're getting advice from their CPA and their attorneys. And so you have to find that middle ground. Mr. Lynn Denman, the best deal is when both sides feel like they're getting a great deal. And I kind of took that to heart because how can the seller get a great deal and I get a great deal? Because that's the perfect place you want to be. And if you can't find that compromise, then the Deal is probably going to fall apart, and that's okay. You have to maintain that walk away power. You have to be able to say, We're trying to fit square pegs into round holes here, and you have to be able to take that step back.
0: Let's talk due diligence the good, the bad, and the really
1: ugly. It's kind of like hiring people and you didn't check references or you didn't do the background, they just interviewed well. I mean, that happens with acquisitions. You do have to understand the book of business, you do have to understand the types of accounts. I think it's really important to look and see where that revenue is coming from. If they're depending on what the seller book of business actually looks like in terms of what's the percentage that's personal lines, what's the percentage that's commercial lines, and then digging into that commercial side, because it generally doesn't happen on personal, but definitely on the commercial side. And are there are there a couple of really key accounts driving their revenue? I've looked at books in the past where 250000 of revenue in personal lines and 150000 dollars in commercial lines and it looked really balanced and it was a small town agency and it was like okay this feels really good and then we got down into the weeds of the commercial book and there were two accounts driving 80 percent of the commercial revenue and the seller was asking for a single multiple across the entire revenue scope of the book of business without any consideration for what might happen is there a relationship with those accounts that we're not going to be able to maintain is it with the owner. There's so many things that go into understanding what's underneath the hood with a book of business. I advocate Watching out for that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it, but that commercial revenue may need to be discounted over the personal revenue. You might need to be willing to restructure the deal to pay a premium for personal lines and a discounted valuation on the commercial line. So there's things like that that you got to watch out for. Is the seller leaving? Do you want them to stay on? I'm not a big advocate of this because business owners don't typically go to work for other people and have joy and success. And business owners overseeing and managing former business owners, former agency owners generally doesn't always go over very well. I know this from experience. What's your temperament there and what's going to happen? And are you going to be able to recover that owner's pay and distributions to help you cash flow and pay for the agency that you're purchasing? And that goes a long ways to you being able to decide, can you pay a premium here? Can you pay above market to make the deal work? There's all these little elements and all of that comes from that due diligence of that book.
0: For our producers that are looking at starting an agency, should they try to find a book of business to buy or should they start their agency from scratch?
1: There's no right or wrong. It's right or left on this. I love building the book from scratch because they get to choose their client. They get to choose what the book looks like. If they have the capital to sustain themselves and they have the discipline to actually do what they intend to do as far as building the book of business the right way. If you don't don't have that discipline to walk away from people who just want you to sell them a policy, then purchasing a book of business, if you can find one, will take a little bit of that capitalization pressure off. You can create a, a foundation to cross sell out of, to get a referral system set up with. And I think that finding that book of business and buying that book of business as a start is a good path if you know yourself. Just understand you're going to get something out of that in terms of the makeup of the book book? Is it quality? And that's where that due diligence piece is going to come in. I like it. I don't have a problem with producers buying books of business early. I would almost advocate sort of a mixed bag, right? I wouldn't make that the reason that I'm going to leave wherever I'm at and start my own agency. I would do it and then I would look. I would start my agency and I would start producing and building it from scratch. And then I would have my eye open for the acquisition opportunity that might come along.
0: Something to me that could be a pitfall is if you're starting your agency by buying someone else's book, then you're a new owner with a book of business that is used to things being done a certain way. And to me, that could cause a few challenges for you and for your customers when you're still trying to figure things out.
1: There are some exclusive agent organization, captive agency organization, who I believe have seen this fail to some degree. They've done very well when successful existing exec- existing exclusive agency owners purchased exclusive agency books of business. But where they have really struggled is when they were taking those exclusive agency books and they were allowing those owners to sell to someone who wanted to get into the insurance business for the very first time. So this new, really green, no agency ownership experience, and they were taking out these loans and they were paying big dollars. And these new agency owners were just getting the fire hose on both ends. We need to watch out for that in the independent agency system. We need to take a lesson there from the other side and say, we need to be careful with that.
0: What would you say to the established agent who is trying to sell his agency, but has had deals fall through over and over?
1: Are you qualifying your buyer? Is your buyer capable of actually giving you what you want? And the second thing, which stings a little bit, are your expectations for what you want reasonable? If you think that your agency is worth three times revenue and the only people that are coming to the table are people who are having to go get SBA loans or really complicated structuring for financing, just because that's the only people willing to pay for that then something might be a little bit wrong. Your price may be wrong. Your expectation may be wrong. And you may have to change your expectation or you may need to back up and go, okay, maybe it's not my time. I think forcing things in this scenario is a really, really good way to be disappointed. It's a really good way to do something that you really don't want to do. That's really important is that you feel really certain that what it is that you're gonna put on the table and then have a flexible mindset that says, well, if I want that three times revenue, I might have to take the payout structure to be a little bit different goal. You should be so happy at the end of this process and it shouldn't be painful. And so if it is painful, something's not right. And that's just the way I see it.
0: What advice would you give to someone who wants to build their book of business to be able to sell it in 20 years?
1: Build it right. We're back to foundation questions thinking about that buyer today for the 20 years in the future, and and I understand nobody has the crystal ball, the marketplace could be different, all those things. But here's the truth. Steady, stable, sticky clients, fully cross-sold means high policy per customer ratios. Unless your buyer that you're going to target is targeting mid-market commercial business, small commercial is going to be more sticky because it's not as risky to sell. It's not as risky to buy. The buyer is going to look at that small commercial book, no different than they look at that personal lines book. And okay, I lose a personal lines client as the buyer. Does that give me heartburn? No, because I've got this really large book of very stable personal lines business and it's very sticky and I'm going to be willing to pay more for that. So building that foundation in the beginning, that's not just throwing policies against the wall and seeing if they stick is going to lead to a better valuation unless, and this is the one category caveat to that you're going to break through that two to five million dollar revenue threshold and get yourself onto the radar of one of these private equity backed or larger acquisition organizations, they think they can write the check, plug it into their system and make their margin. They can do that, but they can't do that unless you reach a certain size. That's the two elements there. If you are like 95% of small to mid mid-sized agencies, your buyer's not going to be a large acquisition organization or a private equity backed organization. But if you can break through on that revenue side and you can hit the radar of those large acquisition organizations, you may find yourself in a better spot. The problem is, is a lot of us have a hard time breaking through that ceiling because it's very difficult to generate $5 million worth of commission revenue. It's just really difficult. That's why there's so few agencies in the country that can actually do that and that have done that. That's what you have to think about. What's my reality? And if your reality is you're going to you're going to be half a million, a million, a million five in revenue and you're making a good living and you're making a good profit and you're you're happy and you're comfortable and you're putting your kids through college and you're doing all that. Well, then somebody out there is going to want that book of business more if you built the foundation right and you built it the right way.
0: And if you're 10 or 15 years in, you can start the transition today.
1: We've seen agents do it and we've got agents that we've worked with that have done it. We've had an agent transition themselves in the state of Louisiana from a non-standard agency to a standard and preferred agency. And their long-term outlook is going to be better from a valuation standpoint because they made the transition like second generation. They were second generation in when they started the transition. So I don't care who you are and how long you've been doing it and how old your agency is. It's doable, but you've got to roll your sleeves up and go to work on it and and really make some difficult decisions.
0: I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Nadia Cohen. I don't run away from a challenge because I'm afraid. Instead, I run toward it because the only way to escape fear is to trample it beneath your feet.
1: Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at integraagent.com. That's integraagent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at
0: iaforward.com.